Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Welcome, everyone. It is Sunday, January the 30th, 2022. It is currently 5.41 p.m. Central Time, and I am sitting here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So in a roundabout way, I'm sitting here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, specifically inside the sanctuary, but the sanctuary is located in, in, in a church, well, in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So here I am, the middle of nowhere, Texas. You can kind of tell outside right now that the sun is slowly beginning to set. And before I know it, it's going to be dark outside. And another Sunday evening, will be upon us. Another Sunday will have come, and another Sunday is, well, fast leaving us. And before we know it, Sunday is over. It will be Monday morning, and then we start a brand new, well, in in reality, we start the brand new week today, but you get what I'm trying to say. You'll start your new work week, your new week of responsibilities, things you have to do, your difficulties, problems, and, and all of that. And I I know that we have been working on a lot of things, right? In our Bible study exercise from last week, we have really got into some serious conversations and discussions about the difficulties that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I believe, verse 13. And I received a couple of emails with people trying to try to work through some of those difficulties and offer their perspective. And there was a part of me that wanted to just do some more work on 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But I, I felt like I could spend 40 minutes sitting here in this empty sanctuary just trying to go through all of those difficulties and all of those problems. And when it's all said and done, I don't know if we would have still have any great answers. I don't know if we would have any great breakthrough because it's just a very complicated verse that raises all kinds of questions. And I didn't want to end Sunday with, with all of that. I, I, I just, I, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get in the car and drive home. I'd be sitting there going, man, we still haven't figured that out. And I, and I still don't know what to do. And then immediately start getting emails going, well, what about this? And what about that? And going, oh man, I, I should have thought about that. So I, I decided to not do that, to not do that. I've given you this afternoon, now into this early evening hour, I've given you the introduction for this week's Bible study. You've got plenty to do and plenty to work on, but I didn't really give you much teaching. Then we had to deal with kind of something in the news, but I tried to give you a theological perspective on it, but I know that's going to be somewhat controversial, so I don't really want to get home and have to deal with that controversy. So I'm like, what what should I do to end this Sunday of live broadcasting. I mean, there, there, there's really so much I need to do. I, we need to go back and work on the theology of conscience. We, we still have that to work on. Uh, we have, we're still placing a, a spotlight on different Christian podcasts. We need to do that. There's still so many other issues that we need to talk about and so many other studies that we need to work on. But I just thought Sunday evening, we're getting ready to go into a new week. Let's just spend some time kind of doing a little devotional thought. And I have been looking at this passage now for a couple of days. I don't know when it was. It was late one night. I grabbed my iPad and I was just going through all of the Christian podcasts I subscribe to. And it was one of those devotional podcasts. I subscribe to many of these where they give you these little five-minute devotional thoughts. Now, these podcasts are not designed 
to really exegete a passage of scripture or even really offer much of an interpretation, but at least they present a passage of scripture in front of me. So whether it's early morning, afternoon, or late at night, two in the morning, whenever I may decide to listen, it gives me at least something for the next few hours to meditate on and to think about. And this particular one was in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And when they read the passage of Scripture, I don't even remember what they had to say about the Scripture, to be honest. Just as soon as they read the Scripture, my mind immediately started going, wow. You know, you have you ever been there where a passage of Scripture just really hits you and you just kind of find yourself just thinking about it and thinking about it? Well, at least that happens to me all the time, right? So I hear this passage of Scripture and I've just been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And I am by no means pretending that I've got it all figured out right now. By no means am I even trying to present this like this is some in-depth teaching on this section. This is very much like a devotional thought that will probably be a little bit longer than, well, most devotional (laughs) programs. But um, just give you something to think about as you now get ready to go into a new week. I know you've got all you've got in all the Bible study exercise that we have uh, prepared for you. That's going to keep you busy, but uh, you'll just have to add this to your list because here's the thing, and I'm just going to set it up this way. I know this that this week, in some way, shape, or form, you're going to engage with other people via social media, at work, family members, neighbors, people just out in in, in, where, where, in the city, wherever you live. It may be someone in, you know, at, the, at the drive-thru at a fast food restaurant. It may be someone delivering the food uh, from, you know, DoorDash or whatever the case may be. You're going to engage other people. And whenever you engage these other people, I've got a question for you. What do you see? What do you see when you see other people? I, I mentioned this a little bit morning, a little bit of this idea this morning in my uh, sermon and a lot, and a lot of that uh, that idea was based off just meditating on this. You'll see what I mean. So, what do you see? That's really the question I have for you. When you engage with other people, what do you see? I have a feeling that what we see is not what we should see. I have a feeling that what we see demonstrates that we see people not from a theological perspective. And this is something that I want to challenge you on as you go into your new week. Are you ready? Just stay with me. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And as Jesus passed forth, from thence, so now Jesus is, is, he's moving on, he's moving on. He sees, and I love how the text says, and you, this may not mean anything to you, but this is one of those situations, it just jumps out off the page and slapped me in the face. And Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed 
him. Now, I understand we can read that he saw a man, and it can just be indicating he saw a person. He saw a man. It could be referring to the fact he saw a man, his, his gender. It could be he just, just stating the fact that he saw a person there, and this person was sitting at the, uh, the receipt of custom. The receipt of custom. Let me, let me show you how other translations handle this. Let me show you how other translations handle this. Let me go here uh, to, um, I'm going to go to uh, biblehub.com, and I'm going to look at every English translation here. All right, here we go. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. New Living Translation, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. ESV, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. All of the translations emphasize he sees a man, then it indicates what the man was doing. In other words, it could have been written as Jesus was walking along, he saw a tax collector sitting at the, you know, seat of, of, of where they, they, they collect their taxes. And the man's name was Matthew. In other words, it could have emphasized that the man was a tax collector. It could have emphasized his name, but the text emphasized he saw a man. Now, I am not saying this, the, this is the intent of the way the verse is written. I am not saying that. Listen to me. I'm not saying that I can draw some doctrinal implication from this. I just find it interesting that it says he saw a man, his name and what he does. Instead of saying he saw a tax collector whose name happened to be Matthew and this man was sitting there collecting taxes. It didn't emphasize that he was a tax collector. It just emphasized that he saw a man first. Now, I ask you, when you see people, what do you see first? Do you see their their profession? Do you see their actions? Do you see their failures? Do you see their successes? Do you see their personality? Do you see their looks? What do you see first when you look at a person? Now, now let's look, we don't need to be super spiritual here. I know I say that all the time. We can just be honest. What do you see? In the context of this story that we're about to read in Matthew 9, I think it's significant that he sees the man. Because whenever you see a person, I want you to realize, I want you, whenever you see a person, I want you to always do your very best to see this first. Okay? I want you to always try to see these things first. Are you ready? First, you see a person who's created in the image of God. Every person you see was created in the image of God. Yes, that image is marred by sin, but that image is still there, right? That image is still there, even though it's marred and and messed up by sin. You see someone who's created in the image of God. That means it just because they're created in the image of God, there there is value. There is sanctity to that life. When you see someone, it's easy to see the clothing, the attitude, the accent, the, the actions, the, the, the failure. You see, we, we, we get so caught up in, in everything that we see, but we got to look past all that. And there's a person creating the image of God. 
There's, there's value there because they were created by God. They were created by God. There's sanctity to that life. Here's what else I want you to see. Not only do you see when you see a person, you see that they were created by God, and that and which comes with that is the sanctity of life and all of that. I want you to see that they possess an eternal soul. In other words, that person, when they die, they're going to live for eternity somewhere. We, we, we tend to view people in light of the temporal, not in view of the eternal. We have a tendency to see the person in light of the temporal. And when we see them in temporal, we see them in relation to how they, in this temporary time frame of now, how they either make me feel, do I like them? Do I dislike them? Do I want to know them? Do I not want to know them? We, we, do I just see them as a means to an end? Hey, that person's just there to give me my order that I just gave at the fast food, you know, at the drive through They're there to give me my order. They're just there to serve me. They're just there to do this. Sometimes all we see is what that person is there to do for me. We see them in a very temporal way. We got to remember every person you encounter was created in the image of God. Therefore, there's inherent value there and that they possess an eternal soul. See them in light of eternity, not in light of the temporary. All right. So just stay with me. Stay with me. This is going to make sense in the context here. So he sees a man. We got to see people listen in light of the fact that they're created by God and the fact that they have an eternal soul. This is very important. Third thing we have to see, we have to see that they are a sinner just like us. We have to see that they are a sinner just like us. We we can see their sin, but see their sin in context of your own. What we have to do is we have a tendency to see everyone else's sin separate and, and, we, with, and we, we become oblivious. We, we see people's sin by forgetting our own. We see they're a failure. They did this. They did that. They did this. They, we, we only see, and sometimes all we can see is the sin that they've committed against us. We, we, we got to see their sin, but in light of our own sin. Okay? But we do want to see their sin. All right. And then lastly, so we want to see, I, I just, I don't even have these written down, but I think it's important. We want to see that they're creating the image of God. We want to see them in light of eternity. We want to see their sin in light of our sin. And we want to see their need for salvation. Now, if they're already saved, then we want to see them in light of their position in Christ. So we can see their need and salvation. We want to see them in the light and light of Christ. What I'm trying to demonstrate to you is whenever you see people, you got to see them differently. We see people politically. We see people ideologically. We see people philosophically. We see people personally. We've got to get a theological perspective on people. Our country is so divided and everyone yelling and screaming and everything is so broken. We don't see people the correct way. We may see someone and go, oh, and we see them because of their their sexuality or we see them because of their gender identity. Just stop seeing off. See the person. 
See the human being created in the image of God. See them in light of eternity. See, see them as a sin, a sinner, but don't forget your own sin. See their need for salvation or at least see them in light of the fact that, well, they're a believer and I'm a believer. See their identity in Christ, not how perfect or imperfect they may be. We got to see people differently. Our vision of people is all messed up. Now, you'll, you'll see why this is so important in this story. And Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. So Jesus sees the man, but you know what he sees? He sees someone obviously created in the image of God. Well, I mean, Jesus is the creator, right? All things were made by him. Nothing that was made was not made by him, right? We could go through all of those concepts. Jesus sees someone created in his image, in the image of God. And he knows that that man, obviously, there's a part of him that's going to live forever. And Jesus sees the need that he needs to follow him. That's what Jesus sees. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't ignore. He knows the man's a sinner, but he's like, follow me. And look what happens. And it came to pass, as Jesus said at meat, in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So Jesus sees this man, he's sitting down and here's all these people. Now these people are identified as publicans and sinners. They're not identified as people. They're they're seen as basically they're identified by a, a certain societal way of identifying them. A a societal identification is placed upon them, publican and sinners. Now, this is important for the story, right? Jesus sees the man. These people are all showing up and, well, here they are. Here's publicans. Here's sinners. Here are those people, right? Now, look what happens. Next verse. And when the Pharisees saw it, now the Pharisees see what's going on. The Pharisees see it. Jesus sees a man He sees a man who's created in the image of God who needs salvation. He sees a man who, Jesus sees it differently, right? The focus is on the man following him, not so much on what the man has done or is doing. It just just seems the text emphasizes a different perspective. When Jesus sits down, all of these other people show up who are identified by society as a publican or as a sinner. And then now the religious people show up. The, The good, now, Obviously, this doesn't work in, in a real way, but in an allegorical way, in an illustrative way, the church people show up. So there's Jesus, but now the church people show up, right? The church people, right? All right, here's the church people, all right? And the church people show up, and what do they do? When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? The religious people, the religious leaders, see they don't see the people creating the image of God. They, they seem to overlook all of that. And what they see is a person's sin. They see a person's failure. They see a person, their mis, their, the wrong that they have done. These are publicans. These are sinners. Why would he eat with these kinds of people? They see the sin. They see the behavior that they don't like. Sometimes we see behavior before we see a person. We see the sin before we see the sinner. We see 
the failure before we see the soul. We see everything before we see the actual human being. We just see we look at people from look we have a tendency to look at I know you're you may disregard what I'm about to say. I think many Christians see people from an atheistic perspective, not a theistic perspective. Here's the religious people, publicans and sinners. Now, now I know that's not an atheistic perspective, but what I'm saying is they see people, they identify these people by their behavior, by their sin. They don't see the people from a truly theistic perspective in the sense of seeing image of God, value, eternal soul. Yes, they may be a sinner, but they need salvation. They just, they identify them by their, they're identified by their actions. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus is like, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I hear what you're saying. But these individuals, they need something. See, see, Jesus sees beyond their sin. He sees the sinner and their need for salvation. Ever, we just get, we stop with the behavior and we're like, well, that behavior is wrong. So then immediately we view the behavior and we view the people as an enemy. Jesus sees beyond the sin to the sinner and he sees them as sick. Sees them in need. He sees their need. And then verse 13. Oh, there's so much we could do with verse 13. Now, Jesus, these are the Pharisees. And Jesus is going to speak almost now like how a rabbi would speak to his students. If you, if you read lots of commentaries about what happens here. He tells them, go ye and learn. He's like, okay, okay, guys, listen. You're the Pharisees. You're the religious leaders. You're, the, you're in the sense the church people. Okay, you know what? Instead of sitting here judging and looking at everyone in an inappropriate way, here, do me a favor. You just go and you go learn. And I'm going to give you something to go study. And since he's like, I'm going to give you something to go work on. And he says, go and learn this. He goes, go and learn what that meaneth. Now he's pointing them to an Old Testament scripture from the book of Hosea. I believe it's chapter 6. Verse six, I believe. I believe it's Hosea six, verse six. I believe I could I could look it up, but it's from the book of Hosea. Right? He says, I, and he 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 quotes it. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, I just want you to think about this this week. Do you need to learn that? Do you need to learn what that means? Mercy, not sacrifice. What do you think that means? The, the Pharisees, the religious people needed to learn it at that, in that time. They needed to learn this. Do we need to learn it? Let, let's see how this is translated in other um, translations. Give me one second here. I'm going to go look them all up. New International, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. New Living Translation. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. 
Now, they, they, they really emphasize that he's quoting from, Hosea, yeah, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 is where he's quoting from. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. I want you to show mercy. And I, in other words, what I want, what I desire is that God's people would show mercy. What I want to do is mercy, not sacrifice. See, they, they have, these are the religious people. They know sacrifices. They know the religious laws. They know you're supposed to do this. And you're supposed to do that. And you're supposed to do this. And they, they know they've got their little checklist, right? I got a, I got a pencil here, right? They got their little checklist. Okay. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. You should go to church. You should give 10%. Do, do, they, they, they know all the lists. Now, nobody is saying that those rules or those laws are wrong, but they see and they see everyone in relation to whether they do these things or don't do these things. Have they obeyed or fell? And what they see is sinners, publicans and sinners. What are they doing here? Jesus sees the people. He sees the person. He sees the one who needs mercy, the one who is sick. He sees beyond that surface. We see the sin and then judge the sinner and condemn the sinner. And, and almost as if, I mean, some Christians, depending on who they are condemning, maybe it's someone they don't like politically, they will call them names, basically act like a total atheist, call them names and say horrible things about them. And they seem more worried about that person being de defeated politically or that person being destroyed than that person being redeemed. They forget the person. They see the enemy. Jesus is like, hey, 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 why don't you go and learn that I want you to have mercy, not sacrifice. You can do all the sacrifices in the world, but if you don't have any mercy, there's a problem. And the reason we stop having mercy on people and all we can do is see their sin is because we forget our own sin. Let me read it again. Now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I've come to call not, not those who think they are righteous, but those who they are sinners, who know they are sinners. ESV, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I've come to call the righteous, but I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Berean Study Bible. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Berean Literal Bible. But having gone... But having gone, learn what is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, if you go down and look at some different commentaries, I'll just pick out one, all right? I'll just uh, pick out one. This is from the pulpit commentary. Just, just choose one, just to give, give you an idea of how others would look at this. The first half of the verse comes in Matthew only, all right? Because this phrase is repeated other places. But go ye and learn, this is a, a common rabbinic phrase based on the fact that the disputants would not always have the roles of scripture uh, actually with them. So in other words, he's basically, he's saying, go and learn because he's saying, you don't, you may not have the scriptures with you, right? You're the Pharisees. You're the religious leaders. You have access to the scrolls. They may not have the, go, go look up in the scrolls, go look up in the scrolls and find out what it means. And he's referencing Hosea 6 verse 6. That's, that's what he is referencing here. All right. The Pharisees, 
uh, basically to be students of Scripture, but had not yet learned the principle taught in the passage. In other words, the, the, the Pharisees were the students of the Bible, in a sense. They were the students of Scripture, but they still hadn't learned this basic principle. And how many times we sit in church, hour after hour after hour after hour, we, we think we've got it all figured out. And then sometimes in the most basic ways, we demonstrate that we don't even have it figured out because we still look at people almost like atheists do and not as believers should. We see people from a a, a practical standpoint, not a theological standpoint. We see people from a temporal standpoint, not an eternal standpoint. We see people sin before we see the actual human being, the actual sinner. We see the, what they, the condemnation they deserve than the mercy that we should hope that they re- receive. We want to have condemnation against them and not mercy towards them. They go on to say, um, the principle that they had, they had still, had, even though they were the students of the scripture, the principle they still hadn't learned is this idea of mercy and not sacrifice. Uh, mercy in the original connection of the quotation, Hosea 6, 6, the words are without doubt. So there's no question that he's quoting from Hosea 6, 6. Um, an expression of God's desire that his people should show mercy rather than only perform external sacrifices. And this meaning is probably intended by our Lord here also. Uh, the connection will then be either. So, so now you can go to Hosea 6.6 6 and see how it's used there. This gets back into a whole hermeneutical issue and how New Testament writers and how Jesus and how they will use Old Testament passages of Scripture. Do they, do they sometimes seem to remove them from their context? How... Like we could have a long discussion about that if you want to go back and look at our sermons. And I think Romans 1, we spent, what, eight weeks, I don't know, months, who knows how long, uh, looking at how New Testament writers use Old Testament citations. But I don't have time to get into all of that right now. Um, So in other words, this connection could be possibly two different ways. Number one, I wish you to show mercy rather than perform external actions for only thus will you resemble me and my coming to call sinners. So in other words, the first way that this could be used is, hey guys, I want you to learn to show mercy and not just sacrifice so that you can actually resemble me and demonstrate what what I have called you to do. Right, that, that's a possibility. The second idea is I wish you to show this mercy and therefore I practice it myself. The former seems the more natural. It is, however, possible that our Lord disregards the original context of the words and uses them only as a summary of the important truth that God prefers to show mercy rather than to insist on sacrifice. This would make excellent sense here. Learn the true principle which by which God acts free grace for it is on that on this that I have acted in coming to call sinners. In other words, they think that Jesus may not have been so much worried about the original context as the principle. Go learn the principle. The principle was stated all the way back there in Hosea. It's not a new principle. I desire mercy. I desire my people to show mercy. We should be the most merciful people on the planet because we have received the mercy of God. We should be the most loving people on the planet because we have received the love of God. 
We should be the most gracious people on the planet because we've received the grace of God. We should be the most forgiving people on the planet because we've received the forgiveness from God. But somehow we become so self-righteous that when someone messes up, all we can see is the mess up. You failed. You messed up. And we're really bad and how this operates within the church. Now, if someone comes walking through the front door of the church and they're lost, it doesn't matter how bad they are, like, praise God, confess, believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, they're all washed away, your sin is removed as far as the east from the west, it's covered, it's gone, praise God, wonderful, great, you're, now, now we will view you as a new, now please note when the Bible says we're a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. That's not reference to us and practice because we know we still have a sinful nature. So therefore not all things have become new. That is referring to our position before God. That is true. So that's how we will view them. Hey, you're a new creature. Old things are gone. Everything's wonderful. Praise God. You're great. And then they've been a Christian for, I don't know, six months, a year, four years, five years, whatever the case may be. And then they fall into some big scandalous sin. And then we have a tendency to go, oh, well, now, Mm-mm-mm-mm. you are a piece of garbage. Now, we may not say it that way, but we look at them and the most, we look down, we, 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 we look down upon them as if we are superior and we're like, well, God will forgive you. And then we start with the buts. However, here, here, are the, here is our list of consequences that we think now must be imposed upon you. We are only going to see you from this point forward as a sinner. We're going to remember your sin. We're going to remember. We would be the ones walking around going, now, David, now we know that God used you to write the Bible, but we're always going to remember you as the murderer, the murderer and the adulterer. Solomon, yes, God used you to write scripture, but we're always going to remember you as a serial adulterer, a a polygamist, and well, someone who ends up becoming an idolater. We have a tendency to only see the sin. We only, because we forget mercy. We forget the person. Now, no one's saying we should excuse sin. No one should say we overlook sin. What we should see is we never forget the person. We never forget to see their sin in light of our own sin. And we never forget to see that they need God's mercy and forgiveness. And once they become a Christian, they are a Christian. We, yes, we may have to confront their sin, but if they repent of that sin, we must constantly see them as a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. And we don't have to constantly remind them and hold them responsible for their past sin. It doesn't mean we just excuse it. You have to deal with it. There may be, there may have to be, you know, okay, you're going to have to do this. There may, but there, in other words, once there's restoration, it's got to be forgiven. That's why the Bible says that, that, that true love holds no record of wrongs. We don't keep a record. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. You don't have to bring it back up every five seconds. Well, guess what? 17 years ago, you did this, 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 and this. Yeah, and 17 years ago, it was confronted, dealt with. Not There's no excuse for it. But it, if, if it's there's forgiveness, we've got to see them as being forgiven. But we have a tendency that all we can see is the failure. All we can see is the sin. Oh, we, we don't see the person. We don't see the forgiveness. We don't see the mercy. Are you seeing people correctly are you learning that of to practice mercy not just now that doesn't mean we ignore our religious responsibilities it doesn't mean like hey i showed mercy i can do whatever i want no 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 we show mercy but god 
but we, all those other things God calls us to do, we still are called to do. He's not saying, hey, just forget everything. Now, ultimately, obviously, the sacrificial system is going to go away. But the point is, is we still have other responsibilities we have as Christians, but we need to be people who show mercy. We demonstrate mercy. So do you see, when you see people, do you see them created in the image of God? Do you see that? Do you see them creating the image of God? Do you see their sin in light of your sin? Do you see that they, do you see them from an eternal perspective or in other words, have an eternal soul? Or do you just see them from a temporal perspective? Do you see their need for salvation? Or do you see them as a person in Christ Jesus? Do you see people as an opportunity to express mercy or as an opportunity to voice condemnation and disapproval? I'm not going to say anything else. I just want you to think about this this week. Now, you say, that sounds like it's going to be difficult to even put that into practice. I agree, but you know where you start? Start with the people you're around all the time. How do you view them? Only in light of whether they're irritating you or doing what you want. Can you see the people around you from a biblical perspective? Or do you see them in a very fleshly, atheistic perspective? Start with the people in your own family. Start with the people in your own home. Start with your spouse, your children. Start right there. Now, I'm not forgetting all of the issues that we're working on theologically. We'll try to figure those things out. But remember, don't ever, there's always verses that are difficult that make no sense. I, like I, 1 Corinthians 10, I agree. I, I don't have it all figured out. I mean, so many questions there. I know a lot of Christians would think it's easy and think that we're making it more complicated than it is. But any reasonable thought about what that verse seems to be implying, we realize we immediately have some problems and then you end up with circular reasoning. But, there, but here's what I know. There's verses I may never be able to quite understand how it works, and it may never completely make sense. And I can spend, don't allow the verses that are difficult to understand stop you from trying to follow the verses that seem pretty clear. All right? Because uh, Matthew 9, that, that's, that's pretty clear. All right? Now, I could give you some homework there to do on Matthew 9, but I won't because you've got all of the Bible study exercise assignments that I just gave you earlier this afternoon, and there's a lot of things you have to do for the Bible study exercise. So you got plenty to work on this week, but don't forget Matthew chapter 9. And the next time you look at someone, just stop and ask yourself, what do I see? There you have it. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And that concludes another Sunday of live broadcasting from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church. I probably will not be here tomorrow. Unfortunately, I have to go get some paperwork notarized at the bank, and I don't want to do that. And I'm very frustrated by it, but I have to do it. So um, that's probably where I'll be tomorrow. And then um, I'll... I don't know. I don't know if I can be here tomorrow on Tuesday. I may not be here. To, I may not be able to be back here till Wednesday. Yeah, who knows? This whole week's going to be messed up. Maybe tomorrow, if I can get to the bank and get that done, maybe earlier. 
then maybe I can come on, on out here tomorrow afternoon since I won't be able to be here Tuesday. Maybe I can. And then Wednesday, we don't know what's going to happen Wednesday because supposedly the, the rumor is here in West Texas, we're going to get some kind of a winter storm. And that typically means ice, which could, if it looks like there's going to be ice, then what we may do is if that ice is not going to show up till Wednesday evening, we may not have in-person services Wednesday evening. And then I'll just come out here earlier and then just do as much live broadcasting until it starts getting bad and then try to make it home. That Then uh, that's what we may do. But if we can, we're going to try to have an in-person service on Wednesday night. Um, and if, if, if that, if one way or the other, something will happen Wednesday. And then, um, of course, I'll be back hopefully normal Thursday, normally Friday, and then normal day Saturday, and then Sunday morning for Sunday school, Sunday morning for the morning worship service with in-person services. And hopefully next Sunday night, we can have in-person services as well. That's kind of the schedule for this week. We will see. I've given you plenty to work on. So uh, there you go. Everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, um, I just, I hope it's been a good Sunday. Even if you haven't listened to everything that we've done today, hopefully where, wherever you went to church, you, you, you were blessed by the preaching of God's word. And uh, now you get a new week in front of you. Let's enter into that week with a biblical mindset. All right, everyone have a great week. God bless.